blessed are those who give without interest, who offer themselves and expect nothing in return. Hallowed are the places of small sacrifices. Great to have all of you here on this Columbus Day weekend. And for those of you who are just joining us, maybe visiting us from time to time or just came in off the street, you picked a great day to be here because today is a celebration. And today we are celebrating something very, very, very important. Okay, and for those of us who have been here over the last couple of weeks, and in case you have been living under a rock over the last five weeks, you will know that we have been on a journey, and we've been on a mission over the last month. And that mission was very, very clear. It could be summed up in three words. Build God's kingdom. And we set out on that mission about four weeks ago, and it was specifically talking about a building. Okay, and there was a potential uh, opportunity to purchase a building, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it was a lot bigger, and it was a lot more broad. If you followed the campaign, it was a lot more broad than just buying a building. Because we never said, let's build God's building. We said, let's build God's kingdom here in Arlington, Virginia. It was about building souls. It was about transforming lives here in this area. And that's what the campaign was all about. And we challenged everyone. We said, this is our time to bring your offering, to bring your brick, and to build God's kingdom here. And the response to this campaign has been overwhelming. And if I can just take a minute before we get into the talk, okay, because I've actually been kind of overseeing this campaign over the last month, and if I just veer from my talk for a minute just to say thank you, just a little thank you from myself, and I know also from Father Anthony, to each and every person who poured out their heart during this campaign, whether financially, whether with their time, or with anything, the response to this campaign has been overwhelming, so much that I would say that this that nothing else that we've done at this church has been more impactful than this campaign in terms of uniting people, in terms of bringing people together, in terms of having people work and putting blood, sweat, and tears into what we're doing as one body and as one spirit. 
whether it was your prayers, your contributions, your tweets, your Facebooks, your mailings, your time, your energy, everyone came together for one purpose and one purpose alone, and it was to build God's kingdom. And in the process, we did something that the history books, the history of this church will forever remember. And it reminded me of a couple other times in history that something amazing was done and those history books have not forgotten those times. And I just wanted to correlate them for a minute before we jump into what we want to talk about. A few thousand years before STSA ever started, a group of people were slaves in a land called Egypt. Okay, the people of God, the people of Israel, slaves in a faraway land. And God appeared to them and God said, I have promises for you. I promise you a better life. I promise you a land, a land that you can build a home for me. Did you catch that? God promised them a place where he would build a home for himself. And the people of Israel were led by a faithful servant named Moses, right? And they laid hold to these promises. And they cried out to God and they said, you know what? We are going to flee the land of Egypt. So they fled the land of Egypt. Pharaoh and his chariots were chasing them. And all of a sudden they get to the Red Sea. And the sea is in front of them, and Pharaoh and his chariots are behind them. They have no other choice, but they cry out to God. And God does one of the greatest miracles ever known to man. He parted the Red Sea. They part the Red Sea. The people walk through. Pharaoh and his chariots come. Sea swallows those people alive. They walk out on the other side of the sea. And what do they say in Exodus 15? They say, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Who among the gods is like you, Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. This song that they sang, I said, will forever be remembered in the history books. We sing this song every week in the midnight praises in the Orthodox Church. We remember this as a great moment where the people of God clung to the promise of God and were delivered and had a great work done by the hand of God. That's the first story. Second story, same group of people, few years later, okay, led by a different guy, this time led by a guy named Joshua. They're back on their way to the promised land, and they walk to a city, and they enter a city called Jericho. And they meet this city of Jericho, and they got to go through this city to get to the promised land. So they go to the city of Jericho, and the problem with Jericho is has a very strong army and has even stronger walls. So again, they need a big sign from God. They need a big miracle from God. So they cry out to God. They say, God, we have nothing. They unite together. They put their, their situation before God. God gives them very clear instructions. He says what? He says, march around the walls of the city every day for six days. And when the trumpets sound, I want you to shout and watch what happens. Joshua chapter 6, it says, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing, men and women, young, well, that, that last part's not, okay. <laughs> young, <laughs> they won the battle, how about that, okay? God did a great work in that story, too. They came together. They put their hearts before God. They united as one body and one spirit, and God overcame their enemies. And God gave a great miracle on that day. Last story. Several years later, 
different group of people, 12 men and some women and, and followers are sitting in a room together after the ascension of Jesus. They are trying to figure out what has just happened over the last 40 some odd days. They were there. They were at a crucifixion. They were following their master, saw their master get crucified. Very, very sad for a couple days. Saw him walk into the room, said, peace be with you. Got very, very happy. Then spent 40 days with this, this, this Lord who, who saw and, and talked to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. Trying to figure out what does all of this mean? Sitting in the room, the group comes together and they say, you know what? There's so many promises that God gave us. He promised us a comforter. He promised us the Holy Spirit. He has promised us so many things that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against us. Trying to figure out what do all these promises mean. They put their hearts together in one accord, lift up their hearts in prayer. And on the day of Pentecost, what happens? A mighty wind comes rushing into the room. Tongues of fire sit upon each one of them. They start speaking in tongues and go out and preach to the people of Jerusalem. And in one day convert 3,000 people. It says at the end of Acts chapter 2, it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, group of people, many, many promises from God, put their hearts together, joined together, united together in one spirit, one accord. God does a great miracle. You see the similarities in each story? Last story. Year 2014. Small church in Arlington comes together with one mission, one purpose in mind, to build God's kingdom. God promised us that he would win this city for himself. God promised us that he would build a home for himself. God promised us that he would do signs and wonders such as not been seen before. And what was the response? And what did God do over those last four weeks? Let's look at some of the statistics over the last four weeks. Over the last four weeks, we raised over $300,000. And actually, I prepared this a couple days ago. A person just spoke to me today and said we've raised over $380,000. Now, you're looking at that number and saying that's not $2 million. Yeah, but that's still a lot of money. <laughs> that's a lot of money. And we're not done, okay? Our goals are not accomplished. So therefore, the work is not done. And, we're, and that number is still going up, and it will continue to go up until our mission is accomplished. But beyond the financial, over $300,000 raised, 6,000 mailings were sent out. And you look and say, well, that's not, I mean, you know, you don't think that we sent this to the, the printing press, and they put it in the machine, and then the machine just spit out the things and just mailed it. Those are people that you see in these pictures, okay? Over 50 people came on a Sunday and stuffed the envelopes, and put postage, and folded the letters, and were working as a team. Spent hours putting these mailings together to reach all over the world. 6,000 mailings were sent, and the result of those mailings is we received donations from over seven countries all over the world. People were donating. And through the YouTube channel, over 18,000 people, or 18,000 views of the different videos that we posted, from the Build Your Kingdom campaign. You see how those stories, there's no difference. Anyone see a difference between those stories that I mentioned earlier and this? Is there any difference? There is a people of God, there is a promise of God, and there is the fulfillment of that promise. 
It's the same story. And I want you to see that today. And that's what we need to see here. And that's what we're celebrating today. We should be very proud of the effort that we've done over the past five weeks and the effort that will continue over the next couple weeks. The difference between those stories and this story is those stories that I mentioned, the stories that I mentioned about like the people of Israel, I just mentioned like chapter one of their story. Okay, like they crossed the Red Sea. Is that the end of their story? No, that was chapter one. Then chapter one finishes and then chapter two, maybe like Battle of Jericho. Then chapter two finishes and they have different chapters of their story. The early church, was Pentecost the end of their story? Of course not. Pentecost was just the close of chapter one. And then chapter two begins a new story. So today, we close chapter one, but that doesn't mean we close the campaign. Because as you'll see, the campaign is not over today. Our goals are not met financially. Our goals are not met. Uh, the, the building that, that we believe to be promised from God is not ours yet. So we are continuing that campaign. But today, we close chapter one, and we start a new chapter. And the question now is, what does our focus need to be for chapter two? Where do we go from here? And I believe chapter two, chapter one was build God's kingdom. Chapter two's focus is beyond the kingdom, is going beyond the kingdom. The truth is that if we want to build God's kingdom in Arlington, we need to do more and care more for the people outside of that kingdom. We cannot separate our evangelistic goals with honest, compassionate service and our investment in the lives of people outside of God's kingdom. The only way to restore credibility in our message, the only way that people can really believe in the message that we have is if they see it, is if we invest in people outside of the kingdom. That's how you build God's kingdom. It's not by investing in the church. It's by investing in people outside of that kingdom and making them believers in the kingdom. That's the model that Jesus used, right? If you tell me, how did Jesus build the kingdom? Did he sit in the temple? He sat in the temple all day and said, you know what? I'm going to wait until every sinner comes into our, our, our temple doors, and then I'll talk to them about the kingdom. Or did he spend all his time outside at the well with the Samaritan woman, healing the sick, casting out demons, giving eyes to the blind? That man born blind story, I love it. It's the perfect model of ministry. Because Jesus meets this guy, he looks at this man and says, fella, you need some help. You've got some holes in your, like literally, right? The man, you, you know, the man was born blind, literally had, had no, hole, no, no eyes in his, his, his eyes. He, he said, you need help. Did he tell him, you know what? You need a savior. You need forgiveness of your sins. You need, didn't mention a word. He looked at him. He said, you know what? I think you need new eyes today. You got a physical need that I think I can help you with. So he healed the man of his, his, his blindness. And then you know what he did? Then he baptized him, right? He baptized him. Nope. He left. Jesus left the man born blind. Okay, if you look in the gospel, it's, it's, it, you have to really pay attention to it. It says Jesus walked away from him, and then he came back to him and worked on his soul. But when did he work on his soul? When did he give him the knowledge of the Savior? Is only after he had healed him physically. Is only after he had met his needs physically. So that's our model. That's what we need to do. Before we can build the kingdom of God here, 
We need to go serve those outside the kingdom. We need to go meet the needs of the people outside of God's kingdom in order to establish our credibility here. This is a mentality that I want to create in the church, and I think God wants us to have over the next few months and even years, is this mentality of being an externally focused church. Okay, there's two types of churches in the world. This is across denominations, across everything. There are internally focused churches and externally focused churches. You know the difference? You know you can tell if a church is internally focused or externally focused. Let's look at some of the key differences and ask yourselves what, 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 what the differences are. Internally focused churches. Emphasis is all about preaching with words. It's all this. Is I want to preach as many words as I can to you. Okay? And the basis of everything is my words. It's my words. It's my words. Externally focused church says, don't judge me on my words. I don't need to say anything. Watch what I do. Watch how I serve. Watch how I meet needs of people. Externally focused. Internally focused churches, their most important thing is getting as many people into the building. We say, you know what? Let's jam-pack this church with a million people, and then we'll be successful. Okay, the four walls of this church are what is going to save us. That's going to be our number one goal is to get as many people into this church. Externally focused churches say what? Say we want to break down these walls. We don't want you to come here until we've come to you out there. That's all their goal is meeting the needs of the community around them. Lastly, internally focused churches ask themselves this question. How much activity have we generated? How many meetings? How many literatures? How many Bible studies? How many programs? How many things have we, how much buzz have we created about the church? So we can create as much buzz as possible, and then that way we'll be a successful church. But the externally focused church asks themselves one very simple question. Whose lives are different because of this church? And if we don't have one single meeting, we don't have one single program, we don't have one single activity, but someone out there's life is different because of this church, that is a successful church. So this is a mentality that we need to move towards. We need to collectively become an externally focused church where our first goal is how do we serve those people outside? How do we serve and care for the neediest of people and meet their needs? There is a great quote from a church father, one of the, the, the great church fathers of our church, St. John Chrysostom. He says something so simple, and like I feel like I'm like doing a disservice by even commenting on it. St. John says, very simply, he says, how can we have, how can you have a healthy church that has no concern for the poor? Like, I don't know what to say about that. Like, isn't that a beautiful question? You think you're a healthy church but yet you have no concern for the poor. How can that be? How can those two things be? How can you equate the health of a church that doesn't care for the poorest among you? And that's not just poor financially. That's like poor in spirit. That's people who are lonely, people who are depressed, people who are sick. The poor among you in your community. How can you have a healthy church that has no concern for the poor? What I loved about the Build Your Kingdom campaign is it brought together everyone in one spirit and like one goal in mind, which is to build God's kingdom. And that's my hope and prayer for like this mentality, is that we come together in one spirit and we say, what can we do to meet the needs of the community around us? 
there's this famous pastor in the D.C. area. Okay, this, this guy's been a pastor for over 25 years in D.C., very old gentleman. He's seen D.C. like change, and he's seen the ups and downs, and he has seen all different kinds of people come through this city. And he was at this kind of conference for like evangelism here in the city. And all these young people were sitting around this pastor. And they asked him a question. They said, tell us how we can win this city for God. And they kind of asked him this. And they were waiting for like the secret recipe. This like foolproof, you know, tool that if you do this one thing, everyone's going to believe in Christ. The Washington, D.C., the most powerful nation, the powerful city in the world, will come to know Christ. So they asked him, they said, how can we win this city for Christ? And he said something beautiful. He said, people in our city are only open to a gospel they can see with their eyes. Only open to a gospel they can both see and hear. I'm sorry. Their eyes are what convince them of the truth of the gospel, not their ears. We spend all our time talking to people's ears. Nobody gets convinced when they hear stuff. But it's only when they see. And you see in this D.C. area, it's, it's, everybody's talking, right? Everybody's selling you something, right? Whether it's politics, whether it's, you know, whatever. Everyone's got something to say. But how many people are rolling up their sleeves and doing the work and serving and, and, and leading by example? That's what's going to win people, and that's what's going to build God's kingdom here in the D.C. area. And the great news of all of this is that you are sitting in a church that is doing this very thing. And that's the message that I really wanted to share today, is you should be proud of the work that this church is doing. And as you guys know, the day this church was started, along with it, we started a nonprofit organization called the Hope Association. And that's the goal of hope. That was the goal of that organization when we started, to be the hands and feet of the church to the, to the community, to meet the needs of that community, to serve them, to show them the love of Christ, to be an example to them. And over the last two and a half years, we have done that, and we have done great work there. And you should be proud of that. You know, I've had the pleasure during this campaign of like, one of the things we did is we went and reached out to different like potential donors, people that are outside the, the community, people that could potentially donate kind of high dollar values to the, the, the campaign. And we wanted to go meet with them personally and kind of share a little bit more detail about what the church is doing. And every single time I sat in a meeting with them, I promise you, every single time, they would look at me, and we'd go through the whole spiel, right? And we'd give them the whole kind of uh, uh, pitch, and they look and they say, that's nice. You know, you do liturgies, you do this, but what distinguishes your church? What are you doing in the community? Like, these are people that are not part of the church, so they can donate to any church. So they say, like, what separates you guys from any other church? And we say, no, we make it a real investment in the community. We invest with our financial resources. We have programs. We have partnerships in the community. We are making an impact in the community. And without fail, every single time we talk about that, they are blown away because that's what distinguishes ourselves. That's what separates us from, from the league of ordinary churches that are just going about the routine, okay? That's where we make our mark is in what we do in the community. So you have an opportunity in this church to get involved. And over the last two and a half years, the work that we have done in the community has been amazing. But I believe, and this actually just hit me a couple days ago. I was sitting with the, the board of the nonprofit organization, and I was sharing with them that I believe 
that we have just scratched the surface with what we are going to do in the community and what God is going to do in the community through each and every one of you. And I was telling them this is something that I didn't like think about. I was just thinking about kind of the organization, where it was going, and I promise you there is too much talent, there is too much potential, there is too much need in our community for us to settle on just the work that we've done so far, that there is so much growth that is out there. And just in case you need a little convincing of the work that we've done, we actually, I'm going to show you this video, and you hear it straight from people about the different work that we've done at Hope. Seven billion, the number of people living in the world today. It took us over 1,800 years since the time of Christ to reach one billion, another 123 years to surpass two billion, 33 years to reach three, and a mere 14 to reach four. And the trend never stopped. With more opportunity, more connectivity, and more responsibility than ever before, God chose this sliver of history for you and me to live. Because of you, over 50 homeless children in the D.C. area are given the opportunity to use their creativity with fun activities and lessons. Because of you, over 250 children with blood disorders have been given gifts for the holidays and the party that encapsulates the magic of the holiday season. Because of you, over 60 victims of child abuse now have a friend to play games and activities with and to share a meal with. Because of you, over $15,000 has been raised for cancer research for local children's hospitals in the D.C. area. Because of you, over 20,000 oral rehydration packets were created and sent to countries in need in Africa to treat children in danger of death from dehydration. Because of you, over 600 young leaders have attended our Momentum Conference and been inspired and equipped to lead the future generations of the church all over the world. Because of you, I have hope. Because of you, I have hope. Because of you, I have hope. But those are some of the different statistics of kind of the things we've done over the past year. And there's a lot of like big numbers that were said, but really like every number that was said over there is really like a person. Like that's when I look at these big numbers. Those numbers are really representing people, people whose lives are improved because of the investment of this church and because of the investment of each and every one of you in what we're doing in the community. And I know I didn't talk about anything specific today, and the reason I didn't do that was because I wanted to talk about the principle of investing in the community. But after I'm done, I'll be done in a couple minutes, after I'm done, we set up a table in the back for hope, and we're going to have volunteers there, and I'm encouraging and I'm praying 
that there's like a line for that table out the door, okay? Because there's all the information for the different programs that you can get involved in back there, and they'll be able to talk to you and let you know about all the different stuff going on at Hope. And there are so many different programs, so many different opportunities, and the best thing is there's such a wide range of things. So you say, you know, you want something that you can commit to on a weekly basis, high commitment, we have that. You want something that's a little bit more flexible, you can't commit on like a monthly thing or whatever, a little bit more flexibility, we got that too. You want to deal like directly with kids, we definitely have that. Or you say, no, I want to be more like support, we certainly have that too. So I'm inviting each and every one of you to go back when I'm done at the table, check it out and, and look how you can get involved in what Hope is doing. Last thing I'll say, it's not really the last thing, but it makes it go by quicker when you say it's the last thing. Last thing I'll say is I mentioned like earlier that question about externally focused churches, right? They always ask themselves, whose lives are different because of this church, right? It's a very important question. Every church should ask themselves that question. And on a macro level, absolutely. On a macro level, every church should ask themselves that question. But the question I started asking myself recently is not, that question, but a different question, which is whose lives are different because of my presence in this church? Whose life is different because of your presence in this church? And is it only limited to the people in this room? That if you just disappeared tomorrow from Arlington, would anyone outside of this building know you were gone? Would anyone in need say, man, this guy used to serve me? I used to have a need filled by this person. Now he's gone. Where'd he go? My life is, is, is different now that this person's gone. Or will you just come and go into a city and into a community and no one notice whether you're here or there? I have seen the direct correlation, and I believe this to be true, and you can, you can take this one to the bank. There is a direct correlation between the blessing of God for this church and our investment in the community. And I will stake my reputation on that, is that there is a direct correlation that the more we invest in the community, the more God will bless this house, the more God will bless this community and this people. And I believe that to be true in my personal life as well, that many of the blessings that I have received in my personal life are a direct result in me caring for the least of my brethren and for caring to, for those who have no one to remember them and for caring for people who have no one to ask about them or serve them or meet their needs. So that's why I don't want, the last thing, believe me, last thing I want anyone to think about is this is like me begging for people's help, okay? I don't want anyone to think that, okay? You know, we hate asking for help and I don't ask for help, okay? What I do is I invite you to receive the blessing. I don't want anyone to miss out on the good stuff that I've experienced and so many people have experienced that I'm inviting more people I look at people and I say, man, they could be the best volunteers in the world and they could be receiving like exceedingly abundantly above all that we know or think, right? That, that God has these blessings for people who are ready to invest in the least of his brethren. So that's my invitation to each and every one of you to experience the blessings for God through investing in the community around us. The real last thing that I'm going to say is... Earlier, I was talking about the people of Israel, okay? And I was talking about, like, the crossing the Red Sea, uh, Battle of Jericho, all that good stuff. And like I said, that was like chapter one, and their story continued, and there were ups and downs and kind of, um, you know, peaks and valleys, okay? Later on in their story, 
okay, they come to a point where God addresses kind of another chapter in their story. And it's this beautiful passage in Isaiah. And I apologize. It's very long. And I put it on the screen because it's so beautiful. And, like, I had to put the whole thing on the screen because it is so powerful. And God is addressing their chapter 2. And he's talking to them about kind of what they're doing. And I wanted to read it because it's, it's very powerful. So I'll read it in its entirety. God says to Isaiah, he says, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? a day acceptable to the Lord. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. That was chapter two for the people of Israel. As God looked at them and said, man, you guys think you're doing all this great stuff? Because you're taking so much pride in the pious things that you do, in your prayers, in your fastings, in your this. Is that what you've offered to me after what I did at the Red Sea? Is that what you offered to me after I knocked down the walls of Jericho? Is that what is acceptable to me? Is that what I'm looking for? Or is it to loose the chains of, uh, of the, uh, what is that? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. That's what the Lord says. That when you guys celebrate that, that's what he tells the people of Israel. When you guys take pride in that stuff, as opposed to that stuff, then you will call on me and I will hear and I will respond. I told you, this Build Your Kingdom campaign is not over. We don't have a building. We're a lot closer today than we were four weeks, and we're very close, and we are still collecting, and we are still ramping up our effort. If you heard Father Anthony, I don't know when he said it, maybe said it uh, in passing, he said, every week of this campaign, we've collected more money than the previous one. So there is a trending upward of activity and God is working and God is blessing and God is doing stuff and God will work. Maybe he's just waiting for us to loose the chains of injustice. Maybe he's waiting for us to set the oppressed free. Maybe that final kind of hump is when he says, when my people then start caring for those beyond the kingdom. Maybe that's what he's waiting for. So today is our day to start a new chapter, to continue on in the campaign, to continue on building God's kingdom by going beyond the kingdom. With that, we can stand up for a prayer, and I'll actually invite Father Paul to close in prayer.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, on God, Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you with your beloved Son and the Holy Spirit. We believe that you are here among your people, Lord. You are opening up your, your ears to our to our cries and to our prayers. And Lord, you've challenged us, Lord, this day, Lord, to to think outside of ourselves, Lord, and to think beyond the kingdom, Lord, to think outside of these walls for every heart that is in need, every soul that needs to be touched, every person that is suffering from loneliness or rejection, Lord, or shame. I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts, Lord, to invite to invite the whole world into your kingdom because everyone is welcomed and everyone here will find love and healing. I pray, Lord, that truly we would be honest and faithful ambassadors for your kingdom. It's very humbling, Lord, to think that we would be called ambassadors for you, that we ourselves would be representing you and that we, our hearts and our actions would be representing what's on your heart and what, what are your actions, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your church, Lord, would, would move, Lord, would move the mountains of, of, of barriers, Lord, that are separating your people from you, Lord. I pray that we would be able to roll up our sleeves and truly, Lord, commit to the work of, of winning souls for you, Lord. We know how you were touched, Lord, by the faith of friends who brought somebody who was paralyzed and helpless. Before you, Lord, I pray that you would give us the hearts to, to rip off the roofs, Lord, that are separating your people from you and that we can bring people and, and drop them at your feet and know, Lord, that you who are mighty and who are full of love, Lord, are, are able and willing, Lord, to heal and to cleanse and to renew and to build up. We pray, Lord, that you would remove from our own hearts, Lord, remove the hearts of stone that are in us and give us, Lord, the hearts of flesh. Give us the hearts of flesh, Lord, that, that you write, Lord, your word on, Lord, that our, that our hearts themselves, Lord, are, are, your, are your testimony, Lord, are your, your living witness that all people, Lord, would know you, Lord, through our love, would know you, Lord, through our sacrifice, because we are you, and you are in us. We ask, O oh Lord, that you bless this church, bless this campaign, Lord. We put the need, Lord, of this church of, of another $1.6 million, Lord. There's nothing too big for you, Lord, and that's why we come to you before the King of Kings, who has money to no end and who has treasures, Lord, to no end. And there's nothing small, to it is nothing big to ask you, Lord, of of, of something so great, Lord. We put that need before you and we ask, Lord, according to the need of this church and according to all the timelines, Lord, that you would hear our prayers, Lord. You would hear, see our devotion, our commitment, our hands that we've put to the work and you would reward us from on high. We pray this in your holy and precious name through the intercessions of the Holy Virgin Mary, the prayers of St. Timothy, prayers of St. Athanasius, and all the saints who have pleased you since the beginning. Make us worthy to pray thankfully with one voice, our Father who art in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. And lead us not into temptation. And now the love of God, the Father, grace of His only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the gift and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all.